the Intersection Education Podcast. Schools are the place where different institutions, services, and societal influences meet. In other words, they're at the intersection of children's lives. In the Intersection Education Podcast, we speak with insiders and outsiders of the education world to try to gain new insight and improve our schools. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Intersection Education Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Haley. This week, I speak with Janelle Allen, an instructional designer who specializes in custom online courses. She started out working with a design agency, but left that line of work to serve entrepreneurs and mid-sized businesses. This pivot created her company, Zen Courses. Janelle works in the adult learning field and is focused on helping create actionable, learner-focused online courses that change lives. She's got a lot to teach anyone who works in the education field about engagement, developing understanding, creating communities, and online education delivery. Now, you can reach Janelle on her website, which is zencourses.co, or you can follow her on Twitter at Janelle Allen. If you like what you're hearing, you can also connect with us, Intersection Education. You can go to our website, intersectioneducation.com. Follow us on Twitter at Intersection Ed. We're even on Facebook. And we really appreciate it when you rate us on iTunes and leave a review. Here's my conversation with Janelle Allen. Hello, Janelle Allen. Uh, Thanks for joining the Intersection Education podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. I'm happy to have you on. I'm excited to speak to you about uh, teaching and learning and uh, love your perspective. Do you know what I like a lot? I like one of the things that you speak about, and that's wanting to help people create courses that change lives. Can you tell me what this means to you and and maybe even some of the ways you've seen that happen? Yeah. Well, it's, it's my hyperbolic way of saying to create courses that get results. So, you know, in my world, I started out creating courses for colleges and universities, and then I pivoted to working with uh, online entrepreneurs, basically. And there's just a lot of courses when you talk about entrepreneurship, there's a lot of courses that aren't getting results for people, you know, aren't delivering the promises, which comes about uh, back to the course goal and the outcomes. So that's what I mean is, is create a course that's actually going to do what you promised that it will do. And there's a few examples. One of, one of my favorite examples is, uh, Amy Hoy and Alex Hillman. They have a, a course called 30 by 500, which essentially helps people to find a profitable idea to sell. And their course does that. And it does it so well that they don't have to run advertising. It's purely sells through word of mouth and they do very well with it. So, yeah. That's, I think it speaks also uh, what kind of attracts me to that statement is just the power of education. And, you know, in our, or in my context of K to 12 schooling, uh, we, we like to say education, learning things can change lives, but it's, 
doesn't stop. It doesn't end, right? <laughs> Education still Life has the. That's exactly it. We 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 sometimes get into this feeling that you know you finish your grade twelve or you finish this um, post secondary or university or whatever, and education no longer has impact. Well, that's completely false, and there are so many different ways that we learn, and so that's that's the other thing I really appreciate about that line. Yeah, absolutely. You also speak about something that we talk a lot about in schools, and that's and that's keeping students engaged. Mm-hmm. What I find really interesting with people who work outside of the school environment is that when people take a course and they're not engaged, well, they just stop. And then, you know, if they've paid for this course, that means that as a person who created it, you you're losing maybe your revenue. Um, also, you want to be able to create things that people finish. I'd like to know what you've learned about engagement. What might teachers actually glean off some of the things that you've learned about working in the adult education world? Yeah, it's been interesting. So I mentioned that I started out in the academic world. I was working for publishers like Pearson Education, McGraw-Hill, and so on and so forth. And and what I learned is, and I'll kind of, we're grouping motivation and engagement together a little bit. Sounds what good. I, learned is that when you're creating courses for an academic audience, motivation is built in. You know, if you want to pass this course to some extent, you know, there are, I was a terrible student in college. So there are people like me who might, you know, still go off and do their thing. But to some, to a big extent, it's, it's built in. If you want to pass, you have to do the work. When you come out of that, when you come out of that academic environment it's not so much. Then you have a lot of distractions, especially dealing with adult learners. You have life happening, you have work, you have bills. Um, and so you really have to figure out how to, how to, how to design for that motivation piece. And then with engagement, I think it comes down to community, which is one of my, the big lessons I learned last year is it's not just about throwing information at people you have to have some sort of community to help nurture that affective side of learning and keep people motivated when they get stuck. If they can reach out to the, to the community and say, Hey, anyone, can anyone help me with this? That's a huge piece of helping people to continue. Cause you're right. If they don't feel motivated and the engagement isn't there, self-paced courses have a, a very high rate of non-completion. You know, people just drop off. So it's it's a huge problem. Mm-hmm. Now, what does community look like on an online adult learning level? Uh, I think about a classroom, you know, you've yeah. kind of got a community built in. So I imagine it might be something that looks a bit different or there's something you have to think about a little bit more clearly and present. Yeah. In the academic world, you know, when I was creating courses for colleges and universities, the community was the discussion. So students would post discussion questions. And that's really where most of the community happened. You know, you might have it have an email thread or, a, you know, a forum. But it's, you know, ac- with academic, it's very controlled. So, you know, as long as it's a, a structured, controlled environment. With entrepreneurial courses, it's going to look like maybe Slack. If your listeners have heard of Slack, it's a great uh, it's a great way to have discussion. And, you know, or you can have a forum as well. You can have a Facebook group. Those are places or solutions that I've seen people use to foster that community. Imagine that in the adult learning community, those... Um those happen organically. So uh, I know that in some 
education courses, whether they be post-secondary or whether they even be high school, you get, you know, a certain amount of marks. They're trying to to seek the engagement or, yeah. you know, force participation into these online communities. Now, do you find that you need that in, in, your, um, in your courses or do people just gravitate there because they're looking for that connection? It's funny. You hit the nail on the head. If, you know, in the academic world, participation is often part of the grade. And so it motivates people to post questions. What I found, which was very shocking for me when I made the transition, was people wouldn't post discussions in this discussion board. I had to create a separate community and then kind of make sure there were people in there who would start. It's like being at a party with people who don't know each other, right? (laughs) Everybody's standing against the wall. And so it takes those few people and it really takes you as an instructor to be there posting, to help people feel comfortable. And then you get a, a few people who will then kind of take the battalion, so to speak, and start posting questions. And then it starts to warm up. But it it really requires a lot of work. As a guy who has supervised many a junior high dances, yeah, the old (laughs) snowball effect uh, works. You know, you don't want to be the first one, but once it gets going, everyone gets happy. Right. Once you get get that brave soul out there (laughs) to break the ice, then you're good. Uh, tell me more about the spectrum of learning that you talk about, and that's how educators need to move from knowledge to application, and maybe give an example or two when you're thinking about course creation. Yeah, this comes back to, which I'm sure your audience knows, Bloom's Taxonomy, which, you know, when I was getting my degree in instructional technology, we learned about, essentially, for those who aren't familiar, Bloom's, there's six six classifications, so to speak. You start with remembering. It's changed over the years. Now you start with remembering, which is, you know, basic rote memorization. Uh, It's like when I used to study for vocabulary tests, I had a very good memory and I just, bam, memorize it. Did I learn it? Eh, Not so much. (laughs) So that's, that's the base foundation. And, you know, then from there you go into understanding and application, analyzing, evaluating, and then creating being the pinnacle, which essentially, if you think about being able to create something at that point, you have, you've not only learned it, but you've also put your own special sauce and synthesized it to a a point where you can then create. So that would be the height. When it comes to examples in, in courses, I think the, the simplest example is you think of lesson presentations. In online courses, you have a lot of video presentations or PowerPoint presentations. And that is is really a mix of remembering material as well as, you know, helping people to understand the material. It's just information. Then you want to have an activity or an assignment that's going to help people to apply that information so that they can get to that next level. And what I like to do, depending upon the topic, is have some type of project. So, for example, in my group program, I help consultants create courses and they have to create a sales page. So that really forces them to take the information and then apply it. And then they have to launch their course. So that gets them to that higher, higher level. Yeah. I think we forget about Bloom's taxonomy sometimes, and and there are some other taxonomies that some people are talking about, but also another way of framing what you just talked about was Hattie's idea, who who is a big, if you're not familiar with Hattie, he's a big uh, 
uh, researcher out of Australia is that whole surface level learning to deep level learning and then to transfer where you can now make the connection. Yeah. So those are good reminders at minimum. Uh, but I love your progressions and how that doesn't go away no matter what environment you're teaching in. Um, I'm interested to know about the barriers that you see when people are making good courses, not just courses, but what mm -hmm. are the barriers that, that you have to coach people through, that you have to consult people through to go from just a course to really great learning course and powerful learning experiences? Yeah, this is a great question. I think the biggest barrier is getting people to understand that it's not about information alone. I, I think especially in the entrepreneurial or small business market, there are a lot of people who think, oh, I've got all this stuff in my head. I'm just going to put it together and give people this information. They should be able to do it. And it's like, no, it, it doesn't work like that. You, you not only have to structure learning, you also have to make sure that you solve for the, the other domains. You know, we talked about affective learning. Are you solving for that? If people, mindset gets a lot of people stuck. And if you can solve for that, in my opinion, that's you're, you're going to go further than you will with information alone. So that's the biggest thing, just knowing that it's not just about the information. Is that, is that difficult for some, I want to say really smart people, but say for a specialist <laughs> in a field, if you feel like you're at the pinnacle of your industry, that you've got so much to give, do, do you find that they come around fairly quickly or is that, can that be a struggle for some people? It can be a struggle. So I, you know, prior to doing the work that I do now, I worked as a consultant and I would often work with subject matter experts or SMEs as we call them. And <laughs> they struggle, you know, experts often are notorious for struggling with just not really understanding why people can't just do it. You know, just like they have all of the information, but Thinking about it from the learner perspective is is a struggle and having to constantly work with them to say, OK, but imagine if you knew nothing, where would you start? And then what would be the obstacle to get you that's going to keep you from getting to the next place? How do we solve for that? So, yeah, I get I guess that it's it's a it's a difficult problem to have, but an OK problem because it probably keeps you in business as well. <laughs> <laughs> it does. It does. I really want to talk about online learning and it's a mode that's becoming a lot more popular in the school aged setting. And I'd like to know, what do you think some of the biggest changes that, that an educator that was moving from more of a school-based to more of an online-based learning, what, what would they have to think about moving f between those two environments? What, what do you think some of the biggest hurdles might be for a seasoned educator moving into an online environment? I think the biggest hurdle, I mean, you know, I got my grad degree in 2009. And, you know, back then there were there were courses for K-12 that were online. I think that what I heard was always, there's two things. There's a resistance to online classrooms, which I think we're started, we're pretty, I hope we're over. I hope it academic environment is over that fear. But also the biggest challenge is translating that in-class experience to an online environment because it's, it's not going to be one-to-one. -one. And I think that 
early, in the early days, you know, when I was in grad school, everyone was trying to figure out how to make it the same. And it's not going to be the same. You had things like second life, you know, I'm dating myself, but <laughs> you know, everybody was trying to figure out how to make it feel like you're in a classroom. It's not going to be that, that same way. So what you have to do is design for people not being in the classroom, but still getting the engagement, still making sure that you're thinking about what obstacles and distractions they would have. And, and also how you're going to interact with your student, knowing that you don't see them face to face every week. You know, are you going to do Skype calls? Are you going to hop on, you know, how are you going to communicate with them? Yeah. Do you give any thought uh, to the relationship? And so you've talked about community, which I think is more, yeah, possibly the teacher is part of that. And you talk about, you know, Skype calls and things like that. Mm-hmm. Does does establishing a relationship um, come into play in some of your courses? Or is that maybe a choice that some people choose to work on more than others? So it is a choice that some people choose to work on and some people don't, you know, I think that for me, you know, with the courses that I teach, I think that that's really important because especially if you're if you're an entrepreneur, small business owner and you're selling a course, ultimately people are buying that course because they feel connected to you. They feel like they've built some trust, you're credible and there's a, there's a bit of a relationship there. I like to build on that relationship and I think that it it helps people to stay motivated honestly if if they know that they can reach out to you. But not everybody does. Some people sell self-paced courses and they never have that interaction. So, yeah, I think that those are those are some good tips. I, uh, if I was to move into an online learning environment, which I'm not, but but I would think about that. I would think, OK, what am I losing? I mean, like that that special relationship that exists between a teacher and a student. Yeah. Um, you know, that would be would be difficult to replicate, but could be. Uh, as long as it you think be. about it. And that's what you, I, I really appreciate about you um, talking about community and relationships. So that's, yeah, that, those are I'll some just, really good stuff. I'll add that I'm seeing more group programs. Hmm. And I think that we're getting to a point with with online courses for business where people are getting tired of self-paced courses because they've realized that they're they're either not finishing them or the course didn't help them in the way that they thought it would. And so we're seeing more group programs, mentorship programs where there is that relationship and people are getting access to a real person. There's that human connection so that you can help them when they get stuck. Yeah. Interestingly enough, I was having this exact same conversation with someone that we both know, Justin Jackson, uh, yeah. just the other day. And, and, and it came down to, you know, if we could learn these things easily and, and we could do it ourselves, well, that would sure make online learning easy. But some things either our lives don't contribute to that or the subject matter is difficult. And so, yeah, I, I think we both came to the realization that there are times when group learning face to face or or at least some court sort of community where there's uh, mutual support, there's people keeping up, there's uh, maybe some yeah. expectations and some some things like that really helps out. So yeah, interesting that we you brought that same idea up because we were we were kind of riffing on that idea and we came it to the same thing. On- the complexity, you know, there is such a thing as just in time learning, you know, an example is a client of mine, uh, egghead.io, they teach uh, 
web developers how to program. And they have lessons. They have lessons and courses, but they often have just lessons on a particular coding problem where I can watch that, learn how to do it, and then boom, go and execute. Now, they also have an online forum so that if I have a question, I can pop in the community and ask. But in that case, they don't need, you don't need a group program, right? It's a just-in-time thing, find what I need, get it. But it's something more complex if it's like being able to reposition my business, learning how to sell, learning how to copyright, where I need feedback, then, then yeah, group programs are great for that. Yeah. Yeah. And we, yeah, again, we talked about that as well. The easy stuff, you know, the, the YouTube, uh, learn by YouTube generation, we've got that licked, but it doesn't cover everything. Yeah. I wouldn't mind getting into some more general type education questions. And I'd like to know, is there something about learning your education that you believe is true that you get a lot of pushback on or that people don't agree with you about? Yeah, I thought about this. Uh, for me, the biggest thing that <laughs> that is always popular when I say it, and, and I'm sure your audience already knows this, is that learning styles are not a real thing. Yeah. yeah. They're not a real thing at all. <laughs> not a thing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I find that people who aren't academics or, you know, they don't geek out on papers on learning theory don't know that. Right. So I, I, when I interact with clients or just people in my audience, they will say that phrase learning styles and that, nope, not a real thing. So that's probably the, the thing that comes to mind. Yeah. Yeah. That one has been kicking around. And I remember when I was going through my yeah. undergraduate degree, that was a whole paper, a whole section of the course was learning styles. Yeah. And so, yeah, you've got some people still thinking that now it might be a framework that helps you think about multimodal learning to include a whole bunch of stuff. But yeah, the whole idea that we've got one. Yeah, that yeah. is that is sticking around still. I believed it, too. Yeah, I would have I would have fought you and said, I'm a visual learner. That's how I learned it. <laughs> yeah. I'm also interested in, in, in learning environments and, and maybe some of your own personal experiences. When you think about the most powerful learning experiences you've had, the people that were there, the, the, the whole conditions that led to having a great learning experience, have you, can you see any, any trends? Do you see any things that through your own personal experience you said, oh, okay, that's what made a learning environment or a learning condition so powerful? Yeah, I think for me, I always anchor to just my experience with early childhood education because my father was in the military and I grew up abroad. And I remember being taken into I, I was taken into the on, honors program and, you know, being in a room filled with puzzles and games and being taught in a very uh, abstract and interdisciplinary way. And that, for me, is probably what has grounded my interest in learning and education, because just having, not having someone who's just spitting information at me, so to speak, and giving me the opportunity to apply to figure out things on my own. Uh, that was huge. You know, a lot of the things that we did going, you know, through honors programs were just application, creating models, you know, creating, uh, learning about Pompeii and, and creating storylines and, and figuring out how to 
dissect it and anal, you know, analyze. It was it was just very going through all of the that Bloom's toxic taxonomy we were speaking about. So that was that was the the most influential part of learning for me, or at least my experience was definitely childhood. Interesting. I'm I'm interested to know because I don't. What does the overseas military school experience look like? <laughs> I, I'm actually a little bit surprised to think that they would have an honors program. But then again, that's based on probably a false assumption that these are smaller places. You're probably on bases that were quite large and had quite a large school, I guess. Bases are usually smaller. They're they're meant to be um, in smaller, more secluded locations. But early on, uh, not so much. Nowadays, more so. But I mean, you're dealing with American bases. So it's it's still an, an American, um, a United States version of education. I think that, you know, I don't know what education look, I don't have children, so I don't know what it looks like now. But back then, it was there was a, a big emphasis on just all the different aspects, you know, having you had the honors program, but also, you know, making sure kids get playtime, making sure, you know, you in addition to the classroom time, just all the different components um, of education, I felt were very, very well provided for. Sounds yeah. like they were ahead of their time, because that's what we're <laughs> thinking about now. Well, right. Play based well, education and, you know, related to the academics and making sure you've got a, a well-rounded education where you're actually doing things, not just learning about things. So that that's yeah. interesting. You need that time to decompress and let everything permeate. You know, I don't know if that makes sense, but I, I also, I, I play, I DJ and I play the piano a little. And I find that when I'm struggling with a particularly challenging concept, I just, walk away and I go do that. And I come back and things feel clearer. And I think that, you know, years ago, educators understood that and were able to implement that. Now, at least in the US, it's not so much, but definitely now. I mean, definitely then. Yeah. Interesting how personal experience leads to learning, because you're um, one of the many people that have talked about that, where if they keep looking at or kind of bumping up against an intellectual idea, it won't come. It, they, yeah. they need that space. So they'll go for a walk, they'll go for a run, they'll go do music, they'll go yeah. engage in something else, and then it comes to them. It's almost like your brain needs some space or some time to connect the right neurons or something. It's so true. I mean, even sleep. I, yeah. until probably the past two years, I didn't value the educational impact of sleep. And that, mm -hmm. you know, when you go to sleep, it gives your brain a chance to like rest and process. And then often you wake up, if you go to sleep thinking, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to think about this tomorrow. When you wake up, I guarantee you will have things will either feel clearer or you will have more insight than you had before. Speaking about your personal experience, do you have a favorite success or a favorite failure that you helped learn important lessons about either teaching or learning or being a, a business owner? Uh, something that you think about often about, um, you know, an experience that really led and fed forward. That's a great question. I think that there's two. One is that it's not about you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is a life lesson, right? It's, <laughs> 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 
but it applies in so many ways. You know, it, it applies to life. It applies to business. It applies to learning. You know, when you think about it from a learning standpoint, it's not about what you want to teach. It's about what your target learner needs to learn, what they want to accomplish. And also, you know, what are the obstacles in their environment? What are the constraints that they'll encounter? You know, all of these things, it's about them. And so my approach is always a learner-centered approach. Same thing with business. It's not about my great business idea. It is about my target customer and what their problems are and what their needs are and how I can help them get there. So that's probably the biggest thing. I think when I started out just in business, I didn't understand that. You know, I had to learn to flip things and stop thinking about myself so much. So yeah, that's definitely the main one. The other one is related, but it's just, it's just realizing that you don't control anything. You know, you can, you can plan and you should plan. You should have a strategic plan, but at the end of the day, the magic happens when you kind of, you work your plan, but you also let go. And sometimes you have to see the, the way things are maneuvering. You know, some of my best clients have come just as a result of seeing what questions people were asking and realizing, oh, I don't have an offer for that. Or, you know, realizing the questions that pop up in my courses and saying, okay, oh, I, for- I forgot about that. So just letting go and and seeing what happens is a big one as well. Yeah. I agree. A couple quicker questions. Do you have a favorite app, website, or other media that you direct clients to? Maybe around learning, maybe not. I don't. I have a favorite book. Okay. Well, let's go there. <laughs> let's go. That was the next one. So what's your favorite? Yeah, what's the book that you that. like to uh, to tell people to read? Well, there's there's two. There's one. It's actually on my desk. It's Designed for How People Learn. Um, Designed for How People Learn by Julie Dirksen. And I love that book because... If anyone listening knows anything about instructional design, uh, the book that's often referenced for instructional designers is Understanding by Design, which is it's a great book, but it's very dry. <laughs> <laughs> I've read it and I would agree. <laughs> Julie does a great job of taking, you know, learning theory and instructional design and making it modernizing it, making it easy to understand, but also talking about things that that weren't, you know, discussed in understanding by design. So that is one I highly recommend. And the other one is is new. This is something that my online entrepreneur friends have been recommending and it's called Badass Making Users Awesome. And it's by Kathy Sierra, who is a web developer. And it just talks about user experience basically. Like really thinking about your users and just replace that with learners and everything that they're going through. And one of my favorite things that she talks about is recognizing the suck zone. So where people are when they start and all the things that they're going to suck at. And then how do they get out of there? And then the next place they're going to be is the stuck zone. They get a little bit of momentum, they do something well, but then they get stuck. And thinking about those things, it was just really eye-opening for me. I think it's a great book to check out. Awesome. Thanks for the recommendations. Yeah. We often think uh, so much about our jobs and uh, sometimes that can become all-encompassing. It sounds like you've been thinking about ways to keep yourself well and healthy. What are some of the things that you're doing every day or most days to make sure that you're available to to, to help the next generation of course designers? Yeah. I think that for me, 
probably the biggest thing is just making sure I have my morning ritual. Um, you know, there's things like working out and all of that, but I found that if I don't have my morning ritual, I'm just off. So, and also having personal time to decompress, but my morning ritual is, you know, wherever I'm at, I have to wake up and have a big glass of water, make my tea and then sit down and write down my three things that I'm grateful for and my three to five top priorities for the day. I try to keep it at three, but sometimes it doesn't happen. So those are, those are the, that's the big thing. That's, that sounds, uh, interesting. I like how you're, it's related to what you were talking about, how, when you wake up, you kind of have that time to make those connections in your head. And so having that writing time or having that prioritization sounds like that, that goes hand in hand with, with that idea. Absolutely. Do you have a, an organization or a person that's really inspiring you right now? Something that uh, people should check out or the work they're doing that you think is really valuable? Yes, that's a hard question to answer. For business, I'm a huge fan of Amy Hoy and Alex Hillman. They have a site called Stacking the Bricks. And it is just so much great, uh, direct non-fluffy advice if you are thinking about starting a business and they have it down. So go there, read it. Inspiration outside of that. Um, I don't know. I, I'm a writer at heart. So most of my inspiration is going to be books and, and sci-fi and movies and all of that. So yeah, that's hard to answer. Yeah. Just keeping up with it. Just kind (laughs) of I, I do like that too, because we often get book recommendations that are so business focused, but it's nice to, you know, not a book recommendation, but to say, Hey, it's okay to read a novel or to yeah. read something outside of just professional learning. So I love that. So what's next for you? What are some of the things that you're working on? What are some of the questions, problems? Um, you know, you're, you're working on your business. And so that sounds good. Maybe, maybe give a shout out to that, but, uh Got any 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 ideas or thoughts or goals about where you want to be in a year? <laughs> this year, I decided not to set any personal goals. I have business goals, I, <laughs> but I decided not to. And and there's a story behind that. But but essentially, what I'm really interested in business wise right now is group programs. I'm really fascinated mm-hmm. by how how groups function for learning. So that is my plan to, to go deep on that. Um, other than that, I'm, I really am just focused on building better habits, uh, which is why I decided not to set goals. I, I want to focus on better business habits. So systemizing, systematizing, automating, um, reading more and just applying and, and working with people who I am excited about working with. Yeah. Uh, by the way, uh, and I think I should mention this, but I did really appreciate your, uh, turn of the year podcast. And for anyone who doesn't <laughs> know, uh, that one's on level up your course podcast. And yeah, I thought it was a great episode and, and it made me, it kind of made me thinking about, uh, one of the episodes we did was the anti-resolution episode, which is more <laughs> about, yeah, building those habits instead of making massive sweeping changes in your life. I think we get too caught up in setting in metrics, at least in the US. And um, I had a year that was very tumultuous. It was great business wise. Personally, it was just very tumultuous. And I just realized, again, going back to not controlling everything, 
just focus on habits. And and I just decided I'm not going to set any personal goals. I know the type of person that I want to work towards, but you know, these metrics, what, what are they, what are they for? Yeah. So yeah, getting a little off topic. <laughs> <laughs> now, before we let you go, why don't you uh, give people who are listening um, the best ways that they can check out some of your work, maybe the ways that they can get in contact with you if they like what you're doing and maybe uh, work on their course. Yeah, the best way to reach me is at my website, zencourses.co. Um, probably the best page to go to is my about page. You can find out more about me and the work that I do and uh, subscribe to the newsletter if you're interested. And that's zencourses.co slash about. That's awesome. Janelle, thank you so much. Uh, I think you you gave some really valuable lessons. Um, uh, I was speaking to you that sometimes uh, I feel like in schools we navel gaze a bit where we only talk about some school uh, educators, other school researchers. And and it's really refreshing to, to come outside to, into the adult education online and, and even things that you guys are learning because people really vote with their cash. And so yeah. you have this very short cycle of what, what works and what doesn't work. So I, I just really appreciate your insight and, and, and spending some time with us. So thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this edition of the Intersection Education Podcast. Just a reminder that you can connect with us on our website, intersectioneducation.com, on Twitter, Intersection Ed, or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next time.